Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. This week we speak to Ryan Atkins. Ryan is someone who I have known for many years. Initially we met through mountain biking and he was always an intriguing character because he had this background unicycle world championship um, that he had apparently won and I never really believed him but over the years it came out that it was actually true and he was quite a talented young man. Um, he succeeded in mountain biking, but before that, he talks to us about how he was into both trials, but then also wrestled and played rugby um, in his teens before getting into mountain biking. Once he was into mountain biking, Ryan always had a ability to go for runs after races and this drive to just always be moving. Um, so he was one of the first people that I thought of when Molly and I started thinking about this consummate athlete, uh, simply because he's been so successful in a bunch of different sports and has always had sort of a passion for moving in different ways. Um, some of the cool things that we learn are sort of the keys to getting started in OCR, or obstacle course racing, the difference between obstacle course racing and mud runs, um, and also some of the training that he uses to win things like the world's toughest mudder and to do a range of durations, which I found the most intriguing, the physiological differences between a short one-hour race, maybe a 5K duration, all the way up to 100 miles racing in the 24 hours uh, world's toughest mudder. So I think a lot of stuff going on in this podcast, something for everyone. Um, really cool to get to talk to Ryan. I hope you enjoy it. First off, uh, we have Ryan Atkins uh, today. He's uh, living in Caledon, but why don't you tell us a bit about sort of where you came from um, and sort of your progression towards obstacle course racing. I like that living in Caledon cool, yeah. was the, uh, the start for that. Well, it's Canada. <laughs> you got you to gotta represent. Yeah. Yeah, you got to represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, an obstacle course racer living just outside of Toronto in a small town called Caledon and uh, it's pretty nice up here but basically um, my athletic background uh, you know I played hockey as a kid like most uh, respectable Canadians and then um, I went on to I started mountain biking when I was about 12 years old just out of camp and I really enjoyed that and was kind of more into you know jumping my bike off of things and trying to find technical things to ride down than the whole fitness perspective of it and from there, I transitioned into unicycling, which uh, I did a lot from when I was about 13 until I was about 18 or so. Uh, won a few world championships in um, trials and mountain mountain unicycling and uh, high jump and things like that. Um, and that was pretty cool. And then when I started university, um, I was still unicycling a lot, but I kind of refound mountain biking and uh found the whole cross-country side of things um did a few mountain bike uh cross-country races and i really enjoyed it and i was like oh well you know i'm gonna have to upgrade to elite and start you know training and doing all this fun stuff that i had never really been exposed to before so that was my um introduction into kind of endurance sports and i guess that would have been when i was about uh, 18 or 19, uh, first year senior. And I did that for several years. Um, got decent at mountain biking and, um, but then I think I was kind of searching for something else and found running, um, kind of doing some just big 
trail runs with friends and uh, things like that, which I was really enjoying. And then kind of out of nowhere, um, a friend of mine told me I should try an obstacle course race because he thought that I'd be good at it. And I did, and I won that first race, and I actually won a ATV in it, which is pretty cool. And um, I was kind of, uh, I guess I kind of found a good niche for myself in that there was um, the endurance that I had built from uh, mountain biking, the kind of coordination I had built from unicycling, and um, the strength that I kind of naturally had and had developed through years of trail building, building mountain bike trails was kind of a perfect uh, fit for me. And from there, it just kind of cascaded. But uh, yeah, this has been a wild ride. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I had told Molly about your unicycle stuff, which I, and I think a lot of people that know you, um, I guess we'll say from back in the day, I think we sometimes forget that aspect of your life because you have all this other stuff going on now too. Um, <laughs> but the unicycle stuff is really wild. And I know we've talked about this in some of our past travels and time killing before elite mountain bike races, but could you talk a little towards the the sport I guess of unicycle and I guess just briefly what it involves like what were the competitions cool so um the thing with unicycling is there's a wide variety of different kind of um competitions and uh focuses in the sport of unicycling and what I was mostly interested in was kind of what uh people would kind of call extreme unicycling so we would we would ride like downhill mountain bike trails on our unicycles or we would ride um, really technical hiking trails or uh, we would do trials just like bike trials or motorcycle trials but on a unicycle so we would jump um, onto a handrail and ride along it or you know jump over a picnic table and just kind of see like what is the most technical thing that you can possibly ride and then learn how to ride it so it's very much a session sport kind of like bouldering and um, that's what I really latched on to was the trials. And um, I did that for a bunch of years, kind of traveled all over, uh, got filmed for it. But um, the competitions, like, for those were kind of uh, similar to, I guess, the way that bouldering competitions used to work or uh, bike trials, but kind of a bit, a bit of a mix of the two. And they would basically set up different um, problems so it's called like a problem or a section and they'd set up anywhere from about 30 to 70 sections and um, you would have uh, a time usually like two to three hours to complete as many sections as you possibly can and um, originally it used to be that the harder sections were weighted as more points but then after a while people kind of realized that uh, that was just not necessary so they um, started just giving all the sections one point value and whoever just did the most number of sections at the end of the competition would win. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. Um, I mean, it's a very physical and very explosive, uh, sport and highly, highly technical. And, the, um, what would the time span be for that? Like, are you talking and like you're on course for an hour or like all day or how, like, is it an endurance event or like, obviously there's explosive elements to it. Yeah, so so each section would take anywhere from, um, you know, 15 seconds to maybe two minutes. And, I mean, it's very uh, anaerobic because you're jumping and balancing the whole time. But then you'd stop and you'd 
go and find the next section and kind of assess it before you wrote it. So it's basically like doing intervals and the whole competition would last for um, anywhere from like an hour and a half to maybe three hours. So is a uh, kind of an endurance aspect, but also a very um, explosive kind of anaerobic aspect as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the skills for that, all of the balance and I mean, way more core strength and that kind of stuff. Do you feel like that translated really well into obstacle racing? Um, yeah, I definitely do. And I think the thing that probably translated um, the most and like to this day would be just uh, how to approach obstacles, because the way that I would approach an obstacle on a unicycle is very similar to how I approach it on foot and kind of analyze the obstacle and find like the easiest slash fastest way to get through the obstacle, which I think is a, a skill developed because obviously, you know, a lot of the core strength that I would have built up from doing that would have um, kind of left me by now. But um you know, definitely the balance and the awareness and space and how to approach obstacles are three things that would have stuck with me in a big way to this day. Yeah, and I think the certainly the balance um, and, and just the movement skill of working while you're, you know, off balance or, you know, on an uneven surface or whatever, like that definitely would stay with you and definitely, you said 13 to 18 years old. Like reaction time. Um, yeah. Too, so, right? I mean, forming that during puberty and, you know, into young adulthood, um, I think you definitely like that. That I think is a really cool thing to sort of trace, at least in retrospect, how you got to OCR and found that, you know, useful. Or yeah. You found you were good at it. Um, yeah, definitely. Why don't we transfer then? You sort of described trials. So, why don't you take that and just sort of give us a brief description? I mean, most people now know what obstacle course racing or mud runs or whatever are, um, but maybe just give us a rundown of like, what's the sport about? Like, I've never heard of it, pretend, and, um, you know, where's the sport going? You know, what's, why do you like it sort of thing? Sure. Um, so basically, I'll, I'll start by making a bit of a distinction between obstacle course racing and um, like mud runs, just Typically, uh, a mud run is more of like, they're usually a bit easier. Um, they don't have, the focus isn't on like really difficult obstacles. It's more on just kind of getting out with your friends, you know, pushing your comfort zone a bit and having a good time. Whereas um, obstacle course racing is somewhat different in that it's, it's more of the focus and emphasis is put on the athleticism and the speed and the competition of getting through these courses as quickly as possible. But basically an obstacle course race is just a, a set course where people will be running on a variety of different terrain. Um, usually a lot of it's very steep or very uh, technical terrain and um, they will intersperse uh, these obstacles, whether it's a wall or a set of monkey bars, or um, a rope traverse, something like that. They'll intersperse these obstacles every um, few hundred yards to you know maybe a quarter or a half mile type spacing. And um, as people run, they have to get through the obstacles, and then they have to keep running. And different uh, companies have different kind of um, mentalities. Some of them have mandatory obstacle completion which you literally have to complete the obstacle if you want to be eligible for 
um, the podium or any prize money. And then others uh, have systems where you have penalties, whether it's like a penalty lap that you have to run or perform, performing a certain exercise. Um, if you are unable to complete the obstacle, then you do that instead. So, yeah, that's basically the sport. And uh, it's a lot of fun because it requires a lot of different um, fitness demands. Um, and I haven't found the variance of fitness demands that it requires in any other sport, which is kind of one of the reasons why I like it so much. Now, what is the weirdest obstacle you've ever come across in a race? Huh. Weirdest obstacle. I'll also um, take hardest obstacle. So. Man, that one I heard about where you would jump off the thing into like the mud pool or whatever, like super high height at the 24 hour thing. Yeah. Yeah. At the, uh, at the world's toughest mudder, which is a 24 hour, um, lap style optical course race. They had us jumping off a 38 foot cliff into water. And that was pretty, uh, it's pretty scary because I mean, it's not like a hard obstacle. Like you literally just have to just kind of walk off, but it, it, there's definitely a mental and kind of a fear factor involved because, you know, if you come up down sideways from that height, you're probably going to hurt yourself. But, so, um, are there any videos on the internet of some of these, these crashes you're alluding to? <laughs> I'm sure there are. I'll look that <laughs> up. Find That's a good there. show notes inclusion. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, there's a pretty crazy race that I did once, um, the winter version of called the winter death race, which is kind of like a, kind of like an obstacle course race. But I heard that one and they basically, um, make you just keep going and, uh, demand you to do these things, whether it's an obstacle or whether it's carrying a rock around for hours, but they'll, they'll make you go for, you know, 30 to 70, 80 hours, uh, in this race. But I heard that this wasn't the year that I did it, but one year they made them, um, chop like a ton of onions, like three or four, like full size onions, and then eat them all, which I thought was like pretty much the weirdest. And that's not really an obstacle, but just the weirdest thing that you could ever be Weird. required to do in in any kind of competition. I thought it was pretty it bizarre, sounds, but also it'd be pretty horrible because sounds like fear factor. Or you know. something. Yeah, geez, <laughs> does I mean, a it, bit. It, but... it would make sense if they were going to serve like home fries or something at the finish, and they just <laughs> needed onions chopped for it, but eating them yeah pretty gnarly yeah Yeah. eating them raw that's awesome um so that's actually a really concise uh and i like that definition of ocr versus mud run that's important good to know um maybe talk about that first race we'll call it the atv event Um, (laughs) like what 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 was that like what was unexpected for you you know being a first time you know a rookie um, yeah, coming into that race, I was super apprehensive about, you know, what I would encounter and kind of, uh, what I would see, but, um, I actually ended up training for that race quite a bit and I would just, I would run laps around a park and I would do probably like two or 300 meter repeats and then jump over a bunch of walls and picnic tables and then run laps. And that was kind of my, you know, out of nowhere methodology of how to, prepare for this race um so i think that definitely kind of helped but i came into this race not really knowing what i was doing or um expecting really anything and like i said i was definitely like scared and apprehensive and the thing with these races are you you go to them and everyone looks so serious and kind of professional that um and like fit that it's just really intimidating but 
you have to kind of push that out of your mind and just uh, approach it with confidence, I guess. And I just started the race and I had a lot of fun. And um, I ended up winning just by a few seconds. There was a guy in a heat behind me that his time, he was a, like a high-level uh, 5K runner in his time. Um, was only a few seconds slower than mine, but uh, so I narrowly <laughs> narrowly outed him at that race. But I just had a blast doing it because there were so many different kind of challenges to go over and to face as the course went on. And I found I wasn't really bored at any point during the race, just having a lot of fun. Do you still get that feeling of apprehension now? Because, I mean, it's never the same, like even comparing it to mountain bike racing. I mean, there's differences in mountain bike racing, but you get to preview the course and it's you know once you've seen a right hand corner a drop it's pretty whatever but i mean you if you show up and they tell you to eat four onions like you haven't trained for that right <laughs> i mean i hope you have yeah exactly <laughs> no, I have a secret onion fetish no yeah. just kidding but uh... <laughs> i've got this <laughs> that's actually yeah, no, gonna I be think my only I've... training for obstacle <laughs> racing now yeah. actually i think that's a good approach yeah, yeah. No, I, I think like I think for me, um, when I come to a race like a start line, there's always going to be that kind of nervousness and that apprehension because, like you said, you don't know what you're going to encounter, you don't know what you know what the other people are going to be like, and there's so many unknowns. But I think that um, I think that that kind of nervousness and that um, feeling means that you care and that you like you want to be there and you want to do well. So. I always try to remind myself of that and uh, and kind of use it as fuel instead of a negative kind of aspect to my morning and um, and then just have fun with it. That's awesome. Yeah, I word it similar for athletes um, when they have that race line. Um, and I think sometimes we don't understand that everyone feels that right like you think you're the only person who's yeah. nervous right but it's you know like you know you're the guy winning a lot of these and you know you're you're having very similar feelings yeah yeah totally i think it's like a natural human response anytime you're being kind of tested or put up against uh, an uncertain um challenge mm -hmm. what about training wise well maybe segue into that um you mentioned your training of running around a park and jumping over obstacles like if i was going to do a obstacle course here in the next month um like is that you know is that how you would recommend i train now or what would you if you had to give me sort of how to get ready for my first one you know i'm not any aspirations of winning just want to be ready is that a good way to do it or is there other things you might add in um like there's so many different requirements in obstacle course racing, and uh, I think if someone just wants to complete a course, if you have a baseline fitness that's like pretty good, and you can run for you know five to eight kilometers without feeling, you know, too exhausted, then I think you'll you should be able to make it through pretty much any course. But then differentiating that between just making it through and you know feeling really good about your performance or um, doing really well against other people is a big difference. So it also depends on the type of course, because if it's a mandatory obstacle completion course, then you pretty much have to be able to do all the obstacles. Right. So then there becomes a big component of um, skill and especially grip strength, because there's a lot of obstacles where you're kind of hanging from things with your arms. And um, those are the things that 
people who are pure uh, pure runners who come into the sport and try to succeed, they usually um, will fail these obstacles, and it'll cost them either a lot of time or it'll cost them the whole the whole race. Uh, so, if you are in a race like that, then you definitely need to focus on you know getting out to the bouldering gym a few times a week and working on that grip strength or hanging from things, doing dead hangs, um, carrying you know heavy uh, jerry cans around, things like that, that will prepare you for the demands of the race. And then um, I think it also comes down to like where you're best to spend your time in training. So if you're already a really good runner, spending a ton of time, more time running to squeeze out a few more, you know, a few better seconds per, per mile pace um, probably won't be your best use of time. Maybe it'll be practicing those obstacles, but if you come from a strength or a climbing or a CrossFit type background, then you probably are better off spending your time running and working on your speed and you could sacrifice a bit of your strength. So it's all about kind of taking all the different components that you're going to expect to see and then maximizing your time that you can train um, for the event specifically. And that's kind of my, uh, my theories behind most of it anyways. That's super interesting. It's it's sort of funny because I feel like there are so many sports where the ability to do that hang or, yeah, the grip strength kind of comes into play way more often than we maybe think, but it's not really something you actively think about training until you've done something, screwed it up, and then like, oh, crap, I need to I need to focus on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Dude. Yeah, there was actually um, my first ever Battle Frog race, which is down in Pennsylvania. There was a... A runner there, his name's uh, Jordan McDougal, and he's one of the, um, he's like a very good ultra runner and just trail runner in general, probably one of the top 10 guys in the U.S., and he was at this race, and we were basically racing neck and neck for the first mile and a half, and then we got to this uh, gnarly obstacle where they had replaced the monkey bars with just little crimps, little rock holding, little tiny rock holding grips, Ooh. and I, I went through it, and I was like, wow, that's a really hard obstacle. And then he went through it behind me and he fell off and he literally just could not complete that obstacle. So I was just, I was like, okay. And I just basically jogged the rest of the course because, um, that was a really tough obstacle and he hadn't kind of prepared or built the, uh, the finger strength to do it. So mm. it's a good case of, you know, he, he was a great, he's a, he still is a fabulous runner, but he just was not prepared for that specific challenge. Yeah, I admit, actually, out in my garage here in Jersey, we have, like, a tiny climbing wall that just has, like, a few crimps and, like, grips and stuff, and my plan had been to get really good at that. I have yet to really spend a lot of time on it, but I did recognize when I started rock climbing that that was my huge limiter, was just not being able to grab the tiny things. Yeah. That's yeah, an totally. awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome training. I mean, that was concise. That's awesome. I like the complete, compete sort of uh, differentiation um yeah so your your rock climbing would be a big part like you probably have your run training maybe some strength training bouldering sort of rock climbing is another element of sort of your regular routine mm-hmm. uh, would, yeah no am, doubt am, am I, I missing uh, anything what else is in there um do, you do any like that's basically sorry go ahead i was gonna say do you do any yoga or any kind of stretching or anything on top of all that um, I, I kind of stretch casually. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't have a super like, uh, 
planned out stretching routine, but I'm always kind of bending over and stretching something or doing squats or things like that. Um, I, I tried, I don't need to focus too much on strength because I find that it's not a limiter for myself. So I probably do, um, a pretty intensive strength workout maybe twice a week. And then, um, the rest is just running and climbing. And that's, uh, that's basically it. But I find that just by varying those kind of components, uh, I usually come pretty prepared into most races. Okay. Interesting. Um, So, again, keeping on a training sort of perspective, um, what was the, you know, in the name of exposing yourself to different um, things and different training stimulus, stimuli, um, what was the last thing you sort of were working on or last skill you picked up or sport you tried? Uh, last skill or sport. Um, well, one thing that, I kind of always play around with is uh, slacklining. I've been doing that for a few years, but I really enjoy that. And I always kind of, it's all set them up and play around and try to learn new or different skills on that for sure. Right. But um, I don't know what the latest. I mean, that's, that's a good that one too. Let's, let's drill on that. Like, have you, what yeah. are you, like you're really good. I mean, I remember, I think you might've been the one who exposed me. Like I was aware of it, but up at Sean's cottage one year, um, I remember you had it set up. Oh yeah. And I, you know, again, I, I hadn't really ever seen one or played with it, but like it sort of boggled my mind a little, um, you know, shaking and stuff the first time on there. Um, so what would you say? Like what, you know, I'm still pretty much, I'm a little better with them now. I've had a couple times to play, but what, you know, what's the next step? How do I go from wobbly, you know, maybe stand on it, maybe get a couple steps, you know, what's the, what's the secret? Um, I think the the biggest thing would just be kind of spending more and more time on it and just trying to come up with new uh, new things you can do, whether it's sitting down and then standing back up or, um, you know, doing like a squat or a lunge or trying some yoga poses on it. Um, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that I think about it, the most recent skills that I've kind of been acquiring, um, I've started doing some some trad climbing, rock climbing, just with um, placing gear, which I'm pretty excited about. It's pretty fun. I guess that's somewhat of a skill, even though it's uh, an extension of rock climbing. And then um, a little bit, did a bit of ice climbing um, this winter, which I want to get more more into next winter if we wow. get a bit more cold weather and ice. <laughs> so trad is like traditional rock climbing. So you're placing the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the the hoops are protection. Going yeah okay are going into the actual rock and you're placing them rather than like top roping where they're already in the rock yeah yeah top rope sport climbing um they're already bolted into the rock and then tried climbing you're you're placing like cams or nuts into cracks and things and then protecting yourself which uh yeah which is a lot of fun it's it's a bit more um mentally taxing just because you're kind of depending on your own um skill to properly protect yourself and be safe so Hmm. yeah but that's a lot of fun yeah i we went in the fall rock climbing and it's it's fun i like being on the rock but the the setup this yeah like especially with top roping i mean it's probably not much Mm. you're just doing the work while you're on the rock i guess but 
just the yeah that for me i think would be tough versus like bouldering i could see myself getting more into but um do you think yeah does that come over time do you think if i bouldered longer i'd eventually want to do you know one of the variations i don't know like a lot of people will just boulder for years and years and be totally content with it and um i think like you know lead climbing or track climbing things like that they it opens a lot it opens up a lot of doors in terms of like big big wall stuff or climbing big um kind of really inspiring routes which is Mm -hmm. kind of where i want to take it but um i think the other thing with with rock climbing from a from like an endurance athlete perspective is it's you know there is a lot of setup you kind of hike in with all your gear and your ropes and your and you go in and you got your climbing shoes, your approach shoes, maybe a set of sandals to belay in or something. And then, you know, one person leads and then sets it up and it can take a long time to get, you know, not much or not as much of a workout as if you were just bouldering say, but, uh, I think that's a bit of a mental shift because you guys just got to be like for myself instead of being like, Oh wow, I went climbing for, you know, I was gone for two and a half, three hours and I only climbed like, you know four four or five routes like that's not that good but i just try to be like oh you know it was a great day with some friends and we got to spend a bunch of time outside and we chatted and we hung out so if you kind of refocus your what you're trying to get out of the day um then it becomes a bit more uh bearable at least from a from like a over kind of analytical endurance athlete mind which is because I was experiencing like the same thing when I uh, yeah. God, when I started into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and that's definitely like the being in nature. Like we were in, uh, it's like part of Colpore. I'm trying to remember. Oh, is it Baldy? Um, that okay, area, yeah. They're up in Collingwood, Ontario, and it was definitely an area like I'd never even been to. But like I've mountain biked very close. But then you know we're to top mm. rope. We had to climb up to the top of the thing, right? So we're hiking up and jumping over crevices and stuff, and you know that that was really cool. Yeah. Like I could definitely, you know, I've gotten really into walking and hiking, so like that element of it, I really like. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an intimidating sport, rock climbing. But we're Molly's. Yeah, it is. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. What else we got here? Um. I guess we're talking sort of danger with rock climbing and stuff. Um. What is your view on the, you know, on the obstacle course racing and danger, um, you know, and maybe we take that same framework you laid out, sort of the complete people, maybe the mud run people versus, you know, your caliber of person. Like, is it is it a risky sport? You know, when you're anxious, are you anxious because of getting hurt or do you feel like it's not too bad in the grand scheme of things? Um, lucky for myself, uh, I've yet to really have any serious accidents while racing um and i think that there's kind of two different perspectives that you can look at um the one is that it's definitely like an inherently risky sport like not only is the are the obstacles risky like anytime you're climbing up something you have the potential to fall off or to come down awkwardly on an ankle or a knee um or your head but there's also really a lot of kind of steep rocky terrain oftentimes they'll bushwhack you through places where there aren't even trails and people who who are mostly used to running on roads or on really well-groomed trails will often struggle with these types of uh 
trails or lack thereof because you know there's holes and there's rocks and there's sticks and there's all sorts of places to twist your ankles um so there's a lot of things that can kind of uh go wrong but at the same time like you're you're pretty hyper focused when you're in one in one of these races and it's not like you're like i find people or myself i usually hurt myself when i'm like the least focused uh and when i'm racing i'm really focused on everything that's happening and uh that's i think why i don't hurt myself so much and i think the other perspective of it is that if you run like these races are really popular like a typical race will see you know a minimum of a thousand people a maximum of you know twenty thousand people in one weekend going through the course so if you run the numbers even if um you're like well you know a hundred people like had you know mild to moderate injuries at this race but it's like a hundred people across ten thousand you know runners that's like one percent or point one percent or whatever so it's like it's really not that bad and then if you kind of if you say to yourself oh you know (laughs) i just i just i'm not going to be in that point one percent or you know i'm going to be like a little bit more careful or i'm going to train to be more comfortable on this type of terrain and these type of obstacles then uh you can kind of put all the danger into perspective and um yeah try to go come out on the other side and there's always the argument of you know being in a car is the most dangerous thing that you can do or you know you could get hit by a car crossing a road or whatever so um yeah and if you don't put yourself out there sometimes and try things that are new and challenging and difficult then uh you know what are you doing so that's my thought anyways totally fair enough um i don't know if you even if it even crosses your path and maybe you can differentiate whether it's ocr or mud run but i know the big media scare headline is always you know some race has had electric wires or you know something like this in like a mud pit and stuff and then people get electrocuted does is this a real thing or is this like clickbait type stuff um well tough mutter kind of prides themselves on having obstacles that are also very mental not just physical obstacles so they they do have the uh electroshock therapy obstacle which is um they dangle live wires kind of down and then make you run through them which are kind of like touching a a cattle fence like electrified cattle fence like it hurts a lot but it's not going to kill you and then they've also got some other ones like uh they had a they came out with like a tear gas one where they make you crawl through like a chamber of tear gas and i mean i think that's just that company and their perspective so if people don't want to get shocked or go through tear gas then they don't have to they can do there's a lot of races most races don't have those elements and um and yeah like people don't want to get shocked or hit with tear gas i think that's a usual like (laughs) lifestyle choice that i would make (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it sounds it sounds obvious but i mean you get a lot of these people out there who who are just uh who are so excited and so kind of into um overcoming their fears or their uh self-imposed limitations that they really get excited and thrive on these these different types of challenges and um i guess i can i can relate to that like personally i would rather uh i'd rather do something that is uh either more physical or may have a mental component but um isn't gonna like be only painful than uh than put myself through that but 
yeah, I mean, different strokes for different folks. Right. Okay, that's good because yeah. I mean, definitely that's been on my mind when I'm like, okay, maybe I'll I'll give one a try, and then it's like, oh, I don't like this electric wire stuff and this like <laughs> you know feces in pits. I'm not sure I'm 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 into this. I mean, you race mountain bikes, so the feces is <laughs> maybe not in a pit like off of. <laughs> it happens yeah and i think that's it so i think it's more like you say like a very small thing you can have sort of avoid it um i think even the numbers like, yeah that's what i always go back to like with stage races and stuff when people get scared about how technical they're going to be i'm like well they have to send ten thousand people or five thousand or three thousand or whatever the number is through this course blind so how like how big are the cliffs that they could possibly put in there right um yeah exactly um, especially I think in the mud run stuff, I mean, at the 24 hours, I imagine it's a little different, but is there, is it blind? Mm-hmm. Like, are you able to pre-run? Um, most courses, you're not allowed to see the course before. Um, you're definitely pretty much never allowed to try any of the obstacles before. Sometimes they'll let you kind of take a walk through of the course just to kind of know, you know, where the hills are and where the trails are and where all the turns are and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's a really like honestly it doesn't it doesn't make that much of a difference because like i don't know it would help but it's also if the course is you know 8k or 15 or 20k long then it's also sometimes impractical to try to like pre-run the whole course because you're just gonna be too tired for the next for the actual race day so right. there's that as well now that might be a place where you have an advantage too though because i mean definitely i know in mountain bike racing I'm relatively good at, okay, it's a right-hand corner, okay, it's a drop, and, like, I might have to slow down a little, but I can hit it and get down it safe, um, whereas in a, the Olympic cross-country, where you pre-ride a small little hamster wheel of a course, you know, everyone's pre-rode, and, you know, everyone's hitting it at max speed, right, so there's sort of, it slows down, so yeah. you, with your unicycle, you're able to assess that and say, okay, well, I'm going to use this strategy. Um, yeah yeah definitely and like you were saying with uh with my mountain biking background i think it's a massive advantage to um to just downhill high speed downhill running like that's like assessing terrain at a high speed is a skill that you learn as a mountain biker out of necessity because you know you're going down these these hills at you know 30 kilometers an hour and they're technical and you have to avoid rocks and roots and find the right line but um, that definitely transfers into running a lot because as you are running down this hill full of baby heads, I think there's going to be a couple lines that work and a couple that don't. So if you can scan the trail and run it a bit faster, you're going to go faster overall. And it's downhill. It's like it's free speed pretty much. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, so from your, your unicycling days, and granted, you're, you were really young then, but then compared to sort of where you are as an athlete now, where you do sort of this huge variety of things, I mean, would you say you're probably like fitter now that you have sort of this wide variety of stuff that you do versus if you'd kept going with just unicycle or just mountain bike? Oh, yeah, I definitely think I'm fitter now than I've been kind of um, at any other stage in my life. Um, definitely just like an all-round fitness where uh, it's pretty cool because, you know, I could go mountain bike for eight hours or I could go run for eight hours or I could, you know, chop wood for all day or, or whatever. <laughs> and you're just kind of prepared for anything that you could possibly want to do. And to me, that's like 
the coolest and most inspiring aspect of the sport. It's kind of builds this, this, uh, this fitness and this body awareness that allows you to pick up new activities really quickly. Um, it just makes you prepared for yeah anything. Yeah. And that's, I mean, exactly, you know, what we talked about when we wanted to start this podcast is sort of turning people into athletes that, yeah, can wake up and be like, I feel like doing a long run today or, you know, a friend wants to go downhilling and you can do that. Or, you know, someone wants to go kite surfing and you can handle that. Like, it's such a cool thing to be, you know, as aware and like comfortable with your body that you can just go out and do that stuff. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um... We're getting here towards the end. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got lots of things to do. Um, why don't we jump down? We love, I already put the offer on the table to you uh, to come up and beat the crap out of me in some sort of sport uh, up in Collingwood here soon. Um, I don't want you to beat the crap out of me. But I mean, I'll you, also, <laughs> you also have a fiance, so you're also planning a wedding among all your other skills. I can only imagine as I'm doing yeah. a similar thing. Um, so you have a fiance who also has been doing quite well in obstacle course racing. Um, can you speak to like, what's that been like having someone else in the house, um, in your life who is also pursuing pretty high level athletics? Yeah. Um, yeah. My fiance, Lindsay Webster is, uh, yeah, she's awesome. She's super duper fit and she's got just a, a huge aerobic engine and she's kind of, um, latched on to obstacle course racing in a big way. She actually won the obstacle course race world championship event last year. So, uh, that's pretty cool, but it's really fun having, you know, someone to in the household who's kind of into the same thing. Um, we can travel to races together, which is super cool. And we can kind of always bounce, uh, ideas off of each other, which is really helpful. So, I mean, like we both raced the 50 mile race last weekend in uh, near New York, and so she's like, you know, should I run today or should I bike or you know things like that? And I can kind of uh, just have a sounding board with her and um, her with me that we can help each other and uh, yeah, always have someone to put things in perspective and someone to train with and motivate you and do all sorts of good things. So yeah, it's really awesome. And it's, uh, I think it's helped push both of us to new levels. That's awesome. Do you guys do much training together or is there, is there like a challenge with that? Cause I know Peter and I can run together, but we can't ride together ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lindsay and I probably train together maybe two times a week, something like that, which, uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it I seems feel like to be that's kind just of enough. <laughs> the way it works out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we usually have our own, um, like specific workouts and then right. if, if I'm doing like a, if I'm doing like a, a slightly easy, I, I usually run about 12% quicker than her. So it's, um, if I'm doing a slightly easier run than she has planned, then we'll definitely go together or, uh, we'll go mountain biking together and, you know, I'll maybe ride a section twice or ride a bit easier and ride with her. Or, um, sometimes we'll do like a strength workout together while one of us is doing like one activity and the other is doing like another and then we'll switch. So just work it in different ways like that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as long as everyone can be cool with it, like it can actually be really fun and, 
you know, even open up other possibilities. A couple of weeks ago, I wanted to shuttle this run uh, on my mount, my enduro bike up in Big Bear, and then Molly wanted to go for a run. So we actually shuttled. She would uphill run and basically do intervals. Um, and then oh, pick, cool. pick, pick up the van at the top of the hill and then I'd go <laughs> shredding down. So we both got repeats in. Um, That's awesome. You know, and same thing. Like it could be dropping off the car and running together for a bit and then, you know, Lindsay could run home or ride home or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Very cool. So yeah. you usually run together or you do pretty much anything together? It... Yeah, pretty much pretty much anything. Uh, I'm trying to get Lindsay more into, into some rock climbing so that we can do that together. But... Uh, She's not 100% stoked on some of the outdoor climbing, but um, yeah, yeah we'll we'll run or ride together. Or, um, we've got a big big dog that we'll take running with us all the time, so nice. It's pretty See, fun. You can have a dog yeah. and be active. Can you yeah. just repeat that for Peter here? <laughs> Having a dog is great. <laughs> He's got like a wolf dog. It is. <laughs> well, tell Lindsay that we want her to be on the podcast too at some point. So yeah. I'm thinking, right. You guys come up to Collingwood, we'll do some adventures, and then we'll sit down, maybe with some wine or something, and, you know, we'll do another one, and, um, you know, maybe right. go, go a little deeper on relationship tactics, <laughs> by the end of it, no one will be speaking to me. Yeah, so. everyone will be yeah. throwing things at you by the end. <laughs> Sweet. Um, anything cool. that I have forgotten, Ryan, that you want to chime in on or add in? Um... No, I think that was uh, that was pretty awesome. You yeah, have... I think you asked some some new questions that I haven't heard before in interviews and stuff, and it's really good. So thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode where we talked to Ryan Atkins, obstacle course racing superhero. Um, if you want to check out Ryan on the social medias, you can do a Google for Ryan Atkins Diet. Um, he'll be on both the Twitter and the Instagram with some awesome content. Usually he's holding some sort of giant check above his head. Uh, if you want to check out Molly or I, that's at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can do peterglassford.ca for website on all the coaching stuff. Um, and for Molly, that's Molly J. Herford. Um, again, easy to Google and find. Um, but you can find her on Twitter at Molly J. Herford. H-U-R-F-O-R-D. We'll see you next week with another episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. You can check out show notes, um, information in the iTunes, and then also on peterglassford.ca. Enjoy. We'll see you next week.